0: hello my friend welcome to part two of this conversation with james cook a neuroscientist writer and speaker focusing on consciousness meditation psychedelic states science and spirituality if you haven't had a chance yet definitely head over and listen to part one before moving into this conversational space with us and yeah just wanted to thank you for being here Daydreamer podcast is here to help you cultivate your own practice of presence, to help you contribute more fully and in your own unique, particular way towards the ever emergent blossoming of the unfolding world story. So, uh, I hope that you enjoy the deepening of this conversation. And yeah, I think I'll leave it at that. Uh, There was kind of a recognition of some. I don't know, like uh, psycho-spiritual emotional work that needed to take place of some sort, and um, there was a real intention or a real kind of um, momentum shift in the in and and a, and a kind of um, influx of power in that direction, purposefully. And you've right. gone into the, these spaces and and um, intentionally um, aim to undo some of these knots that have been built up over long periods of time. Deep deep into your past. Yeah. Um coming into deeper states of presence and, and um intuitively uh feeling into what your body requires in certain moments. Is that right. does that sound true?
1: Absolutely, yeah. And it's it's um on the one hand it felt very, you know, ego James knew what he wanted and had a conceptual map for some knew which trajectory I was going in and could guide it. But the actual process was was one of passivity, of surrender, of opening, um, and so it's more of a, you know kind of getting out of your own way, um, yeah. So you have, and it's not just psychedelics, you know. I mean, so an interesting thing is, as I said, you can be completely have all this embodied stress, feel f- fundamentally afraid, have faced and continue to face challenges, you know, me at the age of thirteen, and yet you can still connect with this fact of being you can get out of of a mindset of doing and just exist in the present moment it's possible um but again it's not going to be very integrated and sustained and and your behavior is likely to, to come out in unconscious neurotic ways you know you see kind of abuse in the from spiritual teachers and stuff like that it's very possible to have these insights and be deeply unintegrated and to then act out in, in pathological ways um and then for me then there was a process of Okay, you've got uh, you've got this kind of awakened perspective, but then it keeps collapsing back into an ego, and it's not sustainable. Or it's not yeah, it's not sustained being in that one in the kind of awakened state. So then, the process for me was how do I get this organism to be again like a a Taoist kind of conception of a thing that's just. Just the unfolding with the flowing of the river with no interference from the ego and with, you know, this fear stuff. And so one thing is you physiologically start to open yourself up with psychedelics is one way that I've done it. Um, Even just massage, like I had a a masseuse who would massage my stomach in this way that was really... I mean, it was, it was so deep and intense and confronting to be to be prodded very deeply in your stomach it's all this kind of soft muscle fascia where you carry all of your emotional reactivity. And that was incredibly powerful. That also allowed me to drop down another level with this stuff. Yoga, this is why yoga is a spiritual tradition because it allows you to move into this you know, yoga meaning union, into this state of mystical kind of non-dual insight. Um, and so there are lots of different ways to do it. But for me, it's about bringing this organism into alignment with with the unfolding of the world. And even when you, you're doing meditation or something you conceptualize as mental, we know that there are new physiological changes going along that underpin different changes in consciousness, different changes in your habitual mental patterns. So the whole process is one of, of being a physical thing that is becoming into alignment with the bottom up kind of flowering in existence rather than this egoic interfering, um, which is often how we, we live our lives.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm kind of curious what role, kind of, your sharing's online and and just even us having this conversation that plays in your life in terms of this process. Yeah, and, yeah.
1: That's a yeah. That's a great question. I've not been asked before, but I, it's definitely um, part of part of the process. So I, I've always had a deep instinct to uh, to try to help. I guess I think service is the kind of the ultimate good like to spend your life on um and you could say that comes from a basic human instinct or a basic living thing instinct of empathy of seeing other things like me that suffer and wanting to help relieve suffering there could be an extent to which it comes from a neurotic place of projecting my own suffering of you know but i i feel like that's that's not so much part of it So it's i try to bring awareness if that's an aspect of it so I think it's um yeah so that's why I do it but then the actual project of it as well another benefit I get from it is um it keeps me it keeps me going on this path because it can be confronting to to put yourself out there in a public way um can bring up you know again as social primates interpersonal anxieties a lot of people are terrified of public speaking have not been that work I've not been that I've that much of a problem with public speaking but it can still it can still bring up concerns of yeah egoic concerns of of how you're perceived and how you're uh what people think of you if you're making sense you know um and so i think when i first started doing it it was really helpful way for me to to feel what would come up when i would do these things and almost just to challenge myself put myself in a position that some people were just like no way i'm not going to do that it's too scary but instead to put myself in those positions and then be like, okay, what do I need to do to feel, um, to feel that I can navigate this well. And actually that's the other point I should have said when I was talking about how you in an embodied way can come more into alignment with this absolute perspective. A a big part of it is, it's not just about passively opening yourself and surrendering and, um, and that stuff, you know, as I indicated before, that happens in parallel with the process of empowerment, where you're actually, you know, as well as being this kind of uh, this kind of flowering of the universe, you also do have the capacity to make decisions, you are an agent. And so you you learn to develop skills and to resource yourself and become aware of your of what's going on in your world. And through that process, you learn to trust yourself, not just trust yourself again, like uh, blindly, but to really think like, okay, I've, I've really got my own back here. I know how to look after myself. Self-care is another another part of this. You know, deprogramming yourself from, from societal narratives that prevent you from doing that. And so that's, that's another kind of important part of this process. Uh, yeah, that might have taken us a spell from
0: uh, off topics fine. I'm kind of a little bit more curious in this direction. So when you, when we we're talking about this kind of these things that come up for you in terms of the sharings, like certain vulnerabilities and and um, you know um, uh, emotional knots that you know still kind of arise maybe through the process of of, of that participation or that that service. Um, yeah, this is kind of kind of matching to what we were talking about earlier around the masks. And I've I've thought about this, and it seems like. Yeah, something that, that has made me personally feel quite, quite reluctant in certain um, arenas to be sharing more is the idea of like layering more masks on rather than removing them. And That's I was wondering, yeah, what you see about that and if you see that that happening or or you just feel like the, um, yeah. just the dance back and forth allows you to kind of, um, you know, somehow halt that process, I'm not sure.
1: That's really interesting. I, I'm not sure if this is what you meant by it, but what it brings up for me is is that um, there are certain things of like, you know, when I point to emotional challenge, like challenges in youth that led to the to these uh, to my needing to engage in kind of trauma healing work. I I often hold back from going into details there because I feel like by being truthful sometimes what that might serve to do is actually to put on a mask so Mm -hmm. if i if i emphasize that i come from a a kind of working class background and had it you know hard in that way then is that coming from a place of truth because when i say it actually what it feels like is i'm almost trying to be like so you should think of me in this way you should like I don't know uh
0: it's like transparency that's not quite transparent or something
1: exactly it's like a manipulative it's almost like I want you to think of me oh isn't he impressive for like having transcended like a difficult circumstance so that's interesting I've not had someone's I don't know if that's what you meant by it but that yeah when you said that it feels like you're layering on masks um yeah I notice uh I noticed that as well but then in that way I guess we this is kind of what I meant before when truthfulness isn't just a um uh isn't just about the statements you make because like, while that's a literally true statement, you know, I was saying like in your posturing, the way you present yourself, the effects you want to have on people, that's where we're really talking about transparency. And, Mm -hmm. and I mean, again, maybe connection really is the ultimate thing we're talking about here, because if I, if I say something that's technically true, but it's because I want to achieve a certain, uh, mind state in you with regards to me then there's an attempt to control there's an attempt to make you different somehow to what you are or to stop this this process from being as authentic and as connected and as as transparent as it is um so i think yeah connection is perhaps a deeper principle than even truth um yeah
0: and yeah now i'm watching kind of what we're doing and why we're doing it it seems like there's there's a light that's being shone on the motions in your life and i've thought about this recently just probably conducting some kind of a possibly conducting some kind of experiment where i just kind of name kind of reasons i'm doing every single thing for a whole day or something or maybe even just for an hour or or a week possibly who knows but this kind of um naming and ritualizing i guess every single action i thought would be an interesting experiment mm yeah
1: in a way to yourself to be transparent with what's happening
0: yeah to kind of be able to kind of um see and and direct in in a a different way and to see what would come out of that if if there would be any noticings i guess
1: Hmm. yeah that's interesting yeah it's funny i um the way that i tend to think about uh this kind of non-dual insight stuff is the the world itself is is not conceptual. And the reason you'd point that out is because we tep- we typically see through our concepts, we use language and you know, I think this is a cup that I'm drinking from. Uh, but then actually if I if I were to interrogate, well, what is cupness or what is it for something to be a cup, what you realize is there is no essence of cup in it. It's it's a it's a kind of a relational descriptor for something I can drink from. It's it's a cup when I when I say it's a cup, basically, and everything's like that really. It's mm-hmm. yeah, nothing yeah. intrinsically is anything it's language is a way of signifying um, and, and chunking things into concept and discriminating. And when you get rid of that, that discriminating, then that's when you fall into this, so like, this mindset of just all and everything existing <laughs> in this, in this like, well, it's actually not split into different things. You know, I'm interdependent on everything else. It's a whole uh, mm-hmm. unnameable thing. And so um, I remember as a teenager, you know, I was, very into nature, still am, and I wanted to learn about all the different flowers, but I I really didn't want to learn their names because <laughs> I felt quite vividly mm. that I liked to behold things just as they were, and if I could say, oh yeah, that's a whatever, um, silver mallow or something, like take that away, uh, then you've just yeah ticked it off, and I can just kind of move on with my day. And it, even just at a subtle level, even if I'm there and I'm trying to engage with that, I feel like the concepts take us away from direct experience. Um, yeah, so then I, I have a slight aversion to using language like um, in, in any kind of practice around uh, what you might call spiritual stuff. So when people do like noting, um, you know, or counting the breath any anything that's conceptual, I, I t- feel to me like it's moving in the wrong direction. Um, I quite like something people can play around with is to get into this state of non-dual awareness of just being which is what it is is one way is kind of awareness of awareness i would say that's not a way to describe the end goal but it's a way you can try to like bootstrap yourself into this state of just getting out of thought and just and just being and then one way you can become aware of the kind of spacious awareness in which everything arises in your experience Is to use a mantra that's intentionally a nonsense sound. So "blah" would be a kind of you know uh, conventional one, but even that has I guess has a sense of of meaning. But just saying something like that, and again, it's nice because it doesn't have a conceptual meaning, and um, and then just hearing, just thinking it in your mind, hearing it as a sound, and then noticing the space in which it arises. That's a great practice to just kind of. To suddenly go, wait a minute. I'm not the thing that's saying the word blah. I'm, I'm there's just space, there's a spaciousness, and the word blah is arising, and everything's just arising in this spacious awareness. that's just here now, and then the the end goal you know, these are again, these are still concepts. The end goal is just to be and just truly let go into a state of what you might call non meditation, where you're just being just sitting like this. own um, yeah, that's that's the main kind of practice. I mean, not the mantra thing, but just getting to that state of just being me
0: is my main practice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, I, I kind of have a similar thing. I thank you for sharing that, that, that idea kind of, I think I can alter that experiment a little bit around that, <laughs> which might be a bit of fun. Um, I also have the same kind of, um, yeah, I, I move in the same direction. I've got all these kind of playlists that are based on vibes and I don't know the name of any of the songs. And I do the same thing with tea actually. So I know what the tea, the essence of the tea is, but I wouldn't know what's in the specific oh, blends. Um, so I can definitely kind of relate to that. I was, there's something came up around, uh, the idea of moving through, uh, our own versions of reality or the unified one and the sense of, um, doing it without our traditional senses. And I know you, you you've done, I'm sure you've done quite a bit of study in terms of perception and, uh, was wondering what comes up for you when I share this. I, I've got, um, I've got a little son and and we went for a walk on the beach recently and i was walking to meet him and his mother and as i was walking to meet him i thought i'd just try closing my eyes and and walking uh, with my eyes closed and just kind of um because it was quite a wide wide amount of, of, of beach area and um yeah i found the the journey to be you know quite incredible just in that that kind of short space in that short period and then i uh, held his hand and what we walked back with our eyes closed. And it was quite nice to see kind of that process unfold and, and to feel into that and then to see how far we had come. And I was thinking maybe or feeling into this rather idea of maybe that's, that's the way to move through life for me anyways. And, you know, this idea of not using traditional senses and finding ways to, um, you know, close close my eyes so to speak and and walk um walk in a different way and yeah because because it seems like the the senses have become compromised to a large extent especially with everything that's happening in, in the way that it's, that it's happening um yeah does, does anything come up for you in that share? yeah that's
1: interesting yeah i would say the it makes me think of the um the learning to trust yourself thing I spoke about before that like mm. you in the moment before you close your eyes you know that you're not you're not walking towards the big uh, towards the ocean and you know you're not walking towards a cliff or you know um there's a that's there's a preparing yourself for that there's a self care and a kind of um yeah a process of of self love that at play that's that's looking out for your best interests and to me, that's, that's a, an important, hugely important process, but it's also, it's interesting what you said about the way our senses are compromised with, you know, the way I interpret that is our current kind of propagandized media landscape where very little is, you know, in terms of sense-making, it's, it's very difficult to kind of uh, find reliable narratives. And if you're walking along the beach and you can't see very well, and then you actually, you, you go and you buy glasses and you, there are things we can do to improve our, our seeing to be good enough that we feel safe. And I think that's the, um, again, in this analogy, the, the goal isn't to see everything clearly. The goal isn't to have a microscope and to be able to, to see the shape of every single grain of sand on the beach. You don't need a perfect 100% picture of everything. You just need to know that you're broadly safe. Because existence isn't safe, it's not fundamentally safe. You know, like. We we will die. Harm will come to, to us, or people we love, and and that's just kind of part of the game. And so you have to we have to learn to be okay with that uncertainty, and to 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 see well enough that we we know that we're we can be safe. And then ultimately, we spoke about the fear of death and how it can be overcome with this non dual perspective. You, that's important as well because. allows you to really get into this level of non-attachment where you're like i'm going to walk along the beach with my eyes closed if it turns out there's a uh you know miraculously there's a man open manhole in front of me even though it's on a beach which is highly unlikely but if it turns out that's the case and i fall down it and that's how i died okay that's how i died like i'm gonna die at some point like that it just happens like you know it could happen at any point so being okay with that in a in a deep way where you, you're not just bypassing your, your fear of death, but you're contextualizing it, getting out of this egoic, ruminative evolved psychology that's obsessed with our own survival. Um, it to me is a really helpful way forward.
0: Would you be able to uh, speak to me around the living mirror of consciousness theory that you that you kind of developed and and mm-hmm. maybe, yeah, maybe it would be nice to just explore that with you and, and see if I'm, my head around it in the way that yeah
1: so there's there are a few different ways you could describe it um to me maybe one way you could describe it is to say that um what consciousness is is not i mentioned earlier how it's it's not separate from what we are as physical embodied living things um so what you can understand it to be is an, an interfacing process. It's like an activity. It's not really a. It's not like a substance or a material or something like that. It's a. It's not. It's a process more than the thing. It's a um, which is why it seems to be a material. It doesn't seem to be like a substance. So. It's a way of of interfacing with the rest of the world, and in when you look at, at um, when you look at our universe, life. Living systems are the kinds of things that need to do that. They're little islands of order that keep themselves together against all of the kind of destructive forces in the universe for a period of time. And to do that, you need to interface with the world around you. So on a, in a big picture level, you could say consciousness is it's like this relational thing. You, the universe becomes living things and then the universe knows itself through living things through, through interfacing with itself um so that's a kind of big picture view of it you can also flesh it out as i've done in in the kind of academic work in, in as like a rigorous scientific theory of like here's the biophysics thermodynamics of life and here's why it necessarily entails a process that we model with something called Bayesian inference where it's like uh this relates to kind of the predictive processing model of the brain where to be to be a living system you need to be predicting what's going to happen in the next moment so if i'm if i'm walking down the street and then there's a bus uh you know moving towards me and one moment it's a certain size of my retina the next moment it's bigger then bigger then bigger if I, if my brain, and if my, if as a whole organism, I interpret that as just moment by moment. Okay, that now it's bigger, now it's bigger, now it's bigger. I need to be predicting into the future because I'm. Time is always flowing. I'm, I'm. I need to navigate through the world. That's what it is to be a living thing. I need to predict that because it's getting bigger. It's going. It's going to get even bigger, and it, that means it's getting closer to me, and it's going to hit me. So, to live, you need to do that process of prediction. You're all. We're always we're always feeling slightly into the future to feel what happens next. Um, because the world fundamentally isn't, isn't 100% safe, like I said earlier. Um, so, yeah, you can think of it in these different ways in a kind of technical, like, how the thermodynamics of life necessitates this predictive process of, of knowing the world around you, or in this more poetic, you know, life is the way the universe comes to know itself, and that process of knowing is is consciousness.
0: Mm. So, yeah, so we're just curious in terms of um, the footsteps through the sand and, and the presence in each footstep and um, the non-predictive nature of that walk, I guess, um, because there's a deep presence in the mo- moment of each step. Maybe there is prediction going on on some level um, in the background. Um, but i just, yeah, that kind of comes up for me and I'm wondering how that, that theory kind of informs the way that you may live your life or you may go through, you know, your steps.
1: Yeah. It's so one on one level, it makes, it makes it feel, I mean, I'm putting the cart before the horse a bit here cause I already had a certain worldview when I came to this theory, but it reifies this, this worldview for me of, in the universe we are an unfolding of it our conscious experiences of the universe knowing itself through us um so we're not these little isolated lonely uh machines that you know are irrelevant we're, we're part of this this process and consciousness is a fundamentally natural like part of the world kind of waking up to itself uh and so i think that's a, a great vision of, of existence and the most consequential thing i would say is that it's really made me confront issues of suffering and harm causing in the world because i you know the traditional way of thinking is don't don't hurt a cat or a dog because they're almost certainly conscious or their philosophers disagree um you know we all we all tend to think someone who like kicks a cat for no reason is not behaving wisely or or nicely because we think the cat can suffer. Um, people, when it comes to kind of setting rat traps or something, they'll, they'll most people probably still feel like there's an issue there of like, it probably feels pain. And, um, but then other people would deny it. Then you get down to insects or say fish. You know, a lot of people say fishing is fine because they can't feel pain. But in this picture, they would, they would you know, feel pain. And then you get down to kind of killing insects. And again, it gets a lot more fuzzy here, It'd be interesting to know the statistics and how many people think it's an insect suffers if you, you know, swat it or something. But then you go even further and now in this picture, all of those things can suffer and single celled bacteria can as well. So if you take an antibiotic that kills, you know, uh, all these little single celled things in your in your system, or even if you wash your hands, you are killing a lot of living things that that will suffer in those those moments uh, can
0: you show me so, how that links with the theory james i'm just kind of yeah so if you could help me with that any
1: page. the idea with the theory is that part of the problem with the main the kind of the dominant way of thinking in the neuroscience of consciousness is a focus on the brain as a kind of causal as the causal mechanism behind generating consciousness a kind of machine way of, of thinking um Whereas I'm, I think the correlation between brain activity and consciousness in us is actually, consciousness exists as an interface in a loop between us and the environment. But in us, it does run through the brain, this process. So there are correlations, but there are also correlations. Um, You know, I taste coffee, I tend to taste coffee when I'm drinking coffee. So there's there's correlations with other physical things in the world as well. Um, so I, I'm saying brains aren't strictly necessary for consciousness, they are in us. Uh, for us to kind of, uh, just the way we're structured, but in other living systems, they don't need a brain. What they need is to be an embodied living system. That's the relevant thing to being conscious. Now, the first form of life, the simplest form of life is a single-celled organism, uh, like an amoeba, like a bacteria, a bacterium, and they evolved to multicellular things that have operate by the same principles. But I'm saying, if, if life is the important thing, then, then feeling should exist in single-celled organisms as well, in bacteria. So when, I mean, when you wash your hands, you're, or say you put you know antibacterial gel on your hands as we've all been doing with COVID, the idea is to create an environment that's inhospitable for life. And so anything living, living cells, living um, single-celled organisms on your hands will find themselves in, a, in an environment they need to escape from. And, the feeling of negativity pain suffering is is the drive to escape so if if the room i'm in suddenly caught on fire i would feel that to be negative and that feeling is synonymous with me trying to escape um from it and if something feels nice it's a signal to kind of stay with it and you know eating feels good because it's synonymous with something we want to be what we doing um generally so in this picture there's there's a lot of suffering going on and suffering is a kind of inherent part of existence for for living things um and that's quite a thing if you think that's true that's quite a thing to reckon with and even if you i mean if you take the hand washing thing at first when i thought that i thought that doesn't seem plausible because that's so much suffering we're causing maybe suffering is not the right word maybe i should say pain or negativity or um i would say negatively valenced experience would be the technical way to say it um, but then, actually, if you think about the vast majority of human history, we weren't washing our hands. We didn't have the, we didn't have the chemicals to do that. So it makes sense that these living things would live on our hands. And but now we've come up with a way to kind of exterminate them um, in this routine way. And so, even if you think this, if you if you if you're not willing to accept that this is plausible, for me at least, it started to open my eyes to to the way how existing negatively causes harm to other things. So, you know, I'm broadly vegetarian in my diet, but then I started thinking about, well, you know, I I have a farm in Portugal where I am now, we're building a retreat center and we had to till the ground. And then after that, I was thinking, well, how many, you know, are there moles in the ground whose nests have been disturbed? Are there insects that got killed in in that process? and they think, well, if I'm buying vegetables from a supermarket, how many animals are, are being harmed in, in that process? And yet mm. most vegetarians who are doing it for ethical reasons like to think, okay, I've done it. I've extracted myself from the harming of animals in my food production. But then I, it was because of my theory, I suddenly was like, wait a minute. That's an illusion. That's not, I mean, it's still an improvement on directly, you know, factory farming, but like, so there's, it, it allowed me, it's allowed me to confront the complexity here and to feel that to exist as a living thing is to cause to cause harm inevitably but the, the wise way forward is to learn to be emotionally grounded and at peace enough to, to be okay with that in a way where you can you can know that you're trying to navigate the world as best as you can um, so one the pathological thing to do would be to go screw it I, I no longer care about human suffering because there's so much suffering happening all the time anyway, and I no longer, I'm just gonna eat from factory farmed animals because they're, you know, I'm, I'm now desensitized to, because I think there's so much suffering in the, in the world. Um, that would be a way of, of creating a block or like trying to suppress the negative feelings by just kind of dismissing them. Um, for me, the ultimate way forward or the end point with, with living a good life is to live in a state of, of staying with one's anxieties, with one's challenges and difficulties in a way where you can integrate them and you can stay with them. Um, that process to me is what it is to be a person is, is to, we, we, we don't find ourselves in a utopia or a hell. We find ourselves in this mixed middle ground. And so we just have to navigate our way through it and use our feelings to, to navigate. So I would say existence is a navigation problem. And that's fine. Most of us, or a lot of people, especially when emotional stress gets too high, they want nice, neat solutions. They want to say, I, you know, I can live this lifestyle, and I can call myself a, a perfectly ethical person. And then if you bring up how the, the you know, the minerals and the microchips were, were got through slave labor and mines in Africa and stuff like that, they don't want to hear it. And so that's not a white that's an neurotics, you know disconnected way of being in my in my view and it's it's a challenge but but i think people feel like if they're sometimes they feel like if they're that, that living with ambiguity is not a satisfactory endpoint they want certainty but again that typically comes from when there's why would, why would you need certainty why would you need to aggressively reify beliefs and to hold on to them strongly usually because you you feel unsafe or you've faced challenges um and i mean this is this is ultimately what leads to extremism in politics as well when it comes to things like fascism where people just want nice simple narratives where they can say that outgroup is to blame project all of the problems on that group and if we persecute them then we'll feel like we're in we're we're moving into a positive place because we, we've just consolidated all of our anxieties into one place and we're dealing with it and that's a kind of delusional danger, highly dangerous, um, way to be. And so what I'm advocating is the inverse of that is a state of, instead of coming up with quick fixes that are delusional, you stay with the open, um, uncertainty of being, which is just the, the state we find ourselves in.
0: Yeah. It sounds like a, a kind of similar thing to the walking on the beach and a similar thing to these psycho, right. uh, psychotherapeutic kind of, um, motions that you go through working through emotional trauma and
1: exactly i'd say emotional health is is one of the most important things that you know if if one of the best things i think we could do for our culture would be to have a norm where we we talk about emotional health and we make it a kind of centerpiece of the culture where we don't celebrate toxic individuals and and reify their egos instead we have a, a, a nuanced understanding of what it means to be emotionally grounded and healthy and um
0: can you tell me a little bit more about the retreat center? I am I'm, I'm conscious of time and I don't want to take up um, more than um, you may have available. Um, so just feel free to yeah let me know. Maybe if you Thank if you. you if you want to shut things down soon, that's fine. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm curious to know more about this this place this this place in Portugal yeah. where the um the internet goes out from time to time and 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 yeah. you know it seems like the wild winds are blowing quite 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 strongly.
1: Yeah the internet's now stable thankfully uh we've upgraded so um but yeah thank you for, uh, for having me here i should i should wrap up soon but um yeah so the uh it's called the surrender homestead that's the tag on like instagram the main place oh, where we're fits pro- in nicely posting yeah yes yeah, it's, it's uh, it was my wife's coining the name and it's this concept of surrender is really important to both of us um i've, I've discovered that some people i was gonna say some people haven't have, a, have a, a negative associations with it what i probably should say is some people some egos have a negative association with surrender <laughs> They they uh but that's precisely what, why it's so important i mean i guess people can have a conception of domination and that kind of surrender to but um but to us it's this this surrendering to and trusting existence to hold you and just you know surrender to that unfolding um so yeah we're hopefully 2023 we may be able to start having some retreats it's going to be very small and intimate maybe eight people at a time um and yeah the kind of themes that I speak about here a lot I feel like I'm going to see how it kind of evolves naturally and take feedback from people and see what people need what people want but the overarching framework that I kind of work in is this one of non-dual insight ideally you can you may come having had one of these experiences of kind of mystical experience unity enlightenment awakening whatever you call it and or you may try to access it through these meditation techniques like i mentioned before um and then this process of integrating it so that could be through somatic body work but it could just be through meditation uh spending time in nature here um potentially plant medicine uh so yeah there's there's a few a few things we're we're flowing to the mix um and it's been a lot it's been a long project it's been a few years now we've been trying to build it but it's getting there and uh could be could be as early as 2023 that we'll start having our dreams
0: well, my friend i'm sending you uh, plenty of supportive <coughs> vibes on that on that journey and and uh, thank you yeah looking forward to kind of um hearing about that flourishing and uh, it seems like it's it's quite a beautiful thing to be um you know birthing into this into the sphere at, at this time
1: Yeah, so it's we're in a beautiful place in the mountains in southern Portugal the weather's great Um it's a fruit farm yeah it's wonderful
0: cool um would you just you know I'll, I'll definitely put some links and everything in in the chat and um, yeah, did you want to share a little bit about how people might be able to check out your stuff you know the YouTube channel or living mirrors uh, podcast
1: yeah thank you so um... The easiest place to find everything I'm up to is if you go to drjamescook.com, Cook has an E on the end, and that will have kind of articles I've written, link to the podcast, Living Mirrors with Dr. James Cook, which you can get video version on YouTube, audio, Spotify, usual places, Um, where I interview people on these kinds of topics. Uh, Yeah, I'd say that's the main place to look. Um, Yeah.
0: Wonderful, thank you so much. Thanks for taking this space and time to listen deeply and, yeah, engage with this conversational space. I really appreciate your presence. And, yeah, if you want to get more information around Dr. James and his work, you can head over to todaydreamer.com or check out the show notes section. If you'd like to get in touch with me personally, deepen your connection with this family that I'm forming, this community around the show, then please feel free to email me michael at todaydreamer.com and if you visit todaydreamer.com, there'll most possibly be (laughs) most probably be some offerings available to help you cultivate that practice of presence more fully, so yeah, hope you're well out there sending my love and appreciation and until next time, be well